it took me a while to kind of be able to let go of the business to let go of myself in a way because I felt like my work was a part of me. It's really hard for somebody as independent as me to say no to people who's always wanting to help others and be super, I know, loving and, you know, be there for my friends and my family and to be, to turn around and say, sorry, I can't make it today because I need to rest. And some people can understand that and others don't. You're listening to Foodie Canteen. I'm your host, Castle Lim. And in this podcast, I'm sitting down with Southeast Asia's leaders, entrepreneurs, and content creators in the FMB space. You will learn about their trade secrets, or you'll just find them as your next door neighbor. This show is supported by Good Foodie Media. For foodie who wants to connect to the world through food, they curate the best spots to eat and drink in Malaysia, Bangkok, and Singapore. Check them out on Instagram for more. Today on the show, we have a very familiar face with us. Known as Malaysia's kitchen goddess, her bubbly personality and infectious energy is one you cannot miss on TV. I can't wait for you to hear her story. Hi Ili, welcome to the show. Hi, what is it to you? And I was like really bopping myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad that you're on the show with us today and I can't wait for the listeners to um, hear your story. But um, bring us back to the kitchen days with your grandmother. Was it where it all started for you? Uh, yes. So I think some of my fondest memories were always in the kitchen with my grandma or my mom or my aunt. And I think one of the earliest, earliest memories I have of being in the kitchen was actually me sitting uh, on the edge of the sink um, where, you know, uh, my feet was actually in the sink. And then I was helping my grandma, I think like either peeling something or snapping green beans or something like that. And you know, watching her cook, but also being part of the process. So I think like being in the kitchen and, and being around food has always been kind of like um, the constant memory that has always made me really happy about my childhood and my upbringing. So you actually went to school in London and tell us that experience of how uh, your time in London and how was that for you? Um. So obviously I grew up in Malaysia. I, I went to school and did my primary, secondary education here, even went to college here. And then I got the opportunity to uh, advance into my undergrad in Queen Mary University of London, where I actually studied business management and economics um, and not culinary, which is surprising to a lot of people. Um, and I think that um, after sort of like <clears throat> when I graduated, there was a recession in London. It was in 2008, 2009. So there was not a lot of jobs available. So I happened to find a, a position in a fine dining restaurant. Um, and it was my first glimpse into um, the fine dining industry and the food industry as a whole. And I think that it really opened my eyes up to what being of service is to people and what fine dining is really all about. And um, I really, really like enjoyed like being of service to people and trying new cuisines. And 
yeah, it was actually like a really magical time. I actually lived in London for about eight and a half years, nine wow. years. So I, yeah, it's a really long time. <laughs> and, um, you know, lots of fond memories there, you know, from university days to working to establishing yourself in your 20s and trying to figure out what is it that you want to do in your life. So, yeah, London is always uh, going to have a special place in my heart for sure. So actually, when you were spending your time in London, you actually got to play a part in a very special and important wedding. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so one, I would say like it's still one of the highlights of my career is actually being a part of um, Kate Middleton, <laughs> well, the Duchess of Cambridge and Prince William's wedding. Uh, the royal wedding. So the establishment that I was working in uh, called Mossimans, we have a catering arm that has uh, the Prince's Trust uh, Crescent, so which means that we can do all of the royalty events and banquets. And obviously, um, uh, Prince Charles was the host for the wedding. So he uh, got us to kind of do, do the banquet for, for uh, William and Kate. So I was one of the wedding coordinators um, on that night. And I must say, it was, not only was it magical, but it was also, um, I would say, like one of the best kind of events that I've ever worked with or worked in. Um, people were so nice, so um, so pleasant. Um, it was so beautiful. It was really filled with love. And um, yeah, I mean, I can't, devout too much because we all signed an NDA but okay. I can just say that you know it was it was very pleasant it was very beautiful and um all nice things to say about it and yeah until today I still pinch myself sometimes for being a part of such a significant time in uh, my generation you know yeah. so yeah so would you <laughs> say like at that moment like you say it's one of the highlights of your life would you say like an epiphany hit you and got you thinking what's the next step you want to take? Like, should I keep staying in London and cater to more weddings like this or I should come back to Malaysia and do something else? So basically, like, I think after I had, um, you know, uh, worked in the fine dining um, in Mossman's for about three years and then I also, you know, was a part of William and Kate's wedding, I was just like, okay, I think that I've hit the pinnacle <laughs> of, like, the event management um uh, thing in in, yeah. in 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 my career at that time and I really like at that point I had been away for from home for so long I really mm -hmm. missed home um, and there was a lot of things that were happening at home really exciting things happening in the industry at home especially in events there was a lot of festivals that were popping up yeah. there was a lot of concerts and a lot of new cafes and things like that and I felt like oh wow this is a great time to actually like maybe explore something back in Malaysia so um, that year itself, I think it was 2011, um, at the end of that year, I decided to come home yeah. and um, I don't regret it, to be honest. <laughs> it was one of the other best decisions I made. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. did you get into becoming a celebrity chef? I mean, I don't mean professionally, but what drew you to it? I guess um, a, a lot of different things. Um, I guess... For me personally, I didn't want to be on TV to be famous. I just literally, um, at that point in time, so after I came back from London, I was working for a non-profit and I was traveling a lot at that time. And 
I was kind of like reunited with Malaysia through food because, you know, um, the job required me to be stationed in different parts of the states, uh, different states in Malaysia. And I saw the power of uh, food and how it connected people, even though I was from KL and I had just come back from London, but somehow, you know, uh, if I went to Kedah in some remote village mm-hmm. somewhere, I was still able to connect with um, the people who were the working at the grassroots level. Yeah. Um, and it was all over a meal. It wow. was always, a, you know, over breakfast or lunch or like tea time. And, and of course, like being exposed to all these different cuisines, right? Like I've been away for so long. I had, I've forgotten what, you know, traditional kampung food tastes like in this particular district or whatever it is. And I saw the power of food. So I then decided that, okay, I'm going to pursue this as a career, right? Um, learn from my, you know, rekindle back with my family recipes. And then I started up Dish Bailey, which is a food delivery service in different carriers. And then after that, um, it kind of evolved into people asking me so many questions all the time. Like, you know, how do I cook this? Like, where do I get that? How do I pick fish? How do I know fish is fresh and all that? And I was thinking to myself, like, maybe I should put myself on TV and explain to people <laughs> how to cook these things. And yeah. so it was more like out of necessity as opposed to like, oh, I want to be famous, you know? Mm-hmm. So in the first year, I applied uh, for Asian Food Network or Asian Food Channel then, but now it's called Asian Food Network, um, Food Hero Contest. Uh, the same year as Sarah Benjamin, I didn't hear back yeah. um, from them. And then I was like, okay, maybe it's not meant to be for me to be on TV. So I just continued running my food delivery business and it was doing really well. And then I think what I did in that year was kind of hone in my expertise. Like yeah. when I first applied, I was still trying to figure out what kind of cook I am, what kind of personality I am, what kind of persona, what's my brand, right? I was still in the midst of figuring it out. But when I applied again for Food Hero 2015, I was very sure, I guess, yeah. uh, of who I am. Like I'm this Malaysian girl who's not trained. Like I learned from all my grandmothers, my pachi, my machi, my friends, best friends, mothers. And, you know, I had all this knowledge that I had absorbed from my travels, from my family. And I could condense it and make it really simple. And then I guess I was not afraid of the camera. Yeah. doesn't faze me that I was really just being myself. And they saw it. And, and then I won. So it was kind of like I needed to go through um, not uh, failing in the first year yeah. and then really understanding what I am and mm-hmm. who I am and then everybody saw it and then yeah. everybody embraced it so yeah it, so the process was a little bit complicated <laughs> so yeah. that's why I say it's like multiple angles but mm-hmm. I'm I, you know I'm, I'm very blessed to be here today yeah I mean let's talk a little bit about your parents um I'm sure they yeah. play a big part in shaping who you are today. And with them working in Malaysian Airlines, you kind of grew up in a service-oriented environment. Tell us a little bit more about yeah. that. Yeah, so I've, um, yeah, so mo- both my parents are, uh, well, my mom used to work and my dad is well, he's retired now. Uh, they worked with Malaysian Airlines as steward and stewardess. Uh, and they were batch girl, batch boy. So, Every year, even though growing up, 
we didn't have much, but every year we had that one free ticket where my parents would save up and just take me and them and we would go somewhere exotic and somewhere different. And that's how my parents um, encouraged me to explore, encouraged me to be curious and be adventurous. And I can, I mean, all of my childhood memories were of places random places like Hawaii or, um, you know, Rome or, you know, um, just like really like bizarre memories of me in a different, unique country eating a specific food or on the hunt to go and eat something specific. And it's really strange. Like I went to Hawaii when I was probably four or five years old, but I remember eating my first poke. Wow. Right. And I was trying to describe it to my mom, like recently. I was like, "Mom, you know, like I remember eating this this poke bowl when I was five in this place where we used to cross over uh, from the hotel and you had to go underground." She was like, "How do you remember this? Like you, you were like four or five years old." But you see, the power of your your the memory power of like how your parents impact you. And also the memory of how I connect with places and people is through food. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what I did, but I remember specific food. Like I remember going to South Africa and having Nando's for the first time. And it was yeah. the best Nando's I've ever had in my entire life till wow. today. Because mm-hmm. that's where Nando's originated. Yeah. So a lot of people don't know that, right? So, I mean, it's like, it's really specific. <laughs> and I guess... Because I was blessed enough to be part of Malaysian Airlines Babies, we call ourselves that, um, we were exposed, not through just education, we were exposed through experience, right? So um, not only am I mixed of mixed background, I was also exposed to all different cultures. Um, you know, and, you know, Malaysian Airlines back in the 90s, Mm-hmm. You know, it was like long haul flights. So, you know, you really connected with the ground stuff there. So you, when you travel, you stay for at least 10 to 14 days. Yeah. You really build a relationship with the people that you uh, you connect with. So my parents had a lot of families all over the world, like from Japan to Hawaii to LA to um, New York to London to you know, um, Australia, like wherever they went, they had their group of, you know, locals who would take them out and, you know, bring them go makan, you know. So I was very lucky to be exposed to that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really adapted when I lived in London as well. It was not weird for me. I felt like I, w- I could build a home or family anywhere I was, yeah. you know. And again, it all revolves around food. So it's quite magical, I guess, in a way. You've done multiple shows and I actually also watched snippets of By the Sea with Ely. And it's so amazing that you got to travel like Vietnam and Malaysia and Thailand. Is there one particular show that stood out to you, like the shooting process, etc.? I mean, all the shows I've been on have been very unique and very special. Um, but I guess... Yeah, the traveling and shooting part, it sounds glamorous and fun, but yeah. it really is um, not. <laughs> but tell us about it because um, I feel like it's, and, yeah. it's such a dream to travel and eat and be on TV, yeah. you know? 
of course. You know, so By the Sea with Ali is beautifully done and it's like, it's shot like, oh, it's just like, they did such a great job with that. But my call time was 4.30 in the morning. Wow. We had to be out. I had to be in makeup and ready to go by 4.30 because we wanted to get the sunrise. And that whole shoot was done from morning until sunset. So I was literally out in the hot sun the whole entire day. Everything was shot outdoors and it was magical because I'm such a beach bum. I love the sea. I love seafood. I love everything about being near the ocean. Um, and it was funny because that was one of the first shows that I did, uh, which involved travel, eat. And I was so excited <laughs> that I would um, shoot me eating on camera and then we'll cut and then the crew would eat and I would eat with them. Right. And then I will be out in the sun the whole day. So you could see from the episodes where I start off pretty fair <laughs> and slightly slim. And then towards the <laughs> end, when I hit Chinganu, I'm like round and like slightly super dark. <laughs> yeah, because I was just like, I was just like really enjoying myself. And yeah. yeah, it was, I think that was one of my favorites. And I would say that the my other favorite um would have to be, I kind of like the studio shoots that I did with AFN as well. When mm. I, most of my studio shoots before the pandemic was all shot in Jakarta, in Indonesia. And um, we built such a great relationship with the Indonesian crew there. And I don't know, it was just something that uh, was familiar, but different um, in a way, because that's the beauty of being a part of a big network, right? Yeah. You get to work with different crew from different countries. And I just feel like the Indonesian crew are so um, creative. Mm. Uh, they would reset a kitchen in one hour. Wow. So like the kitchen that I'm in, you think that it's multiple houses or different studios, but actually no, it's just the same kitchen, but they, they're just so innovative and creative in the way they do things. And there's just so much to learn from them. Mm. Um, so I would say the studio shoots are fun as well. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I'm so glad we are catching you on the downtime. Like right now we're recording this is FMCO. And I'm sure you were very busy with a lot of shows going on at that time. Did you have some time back then for like self-reflection to remind yourself of what's your goal or back then or even now? Like what's your goal? Um, yeah, I mean, I I won Food Hero in 2015. That was my late 20s, uh, mm. even though a lot of people didn't think that I was in my late 20s. I, they said I looked a lot younger. Mm. Um, I was really all very energized and super gung-ho, you know, like I just wanted to like do the best and like show up and I was doing so many things all at once, yeah. you know. So I was running my food delivery business and then I won Food Hero. And then a year after that, I opened my restaurant called Aga Aga, which is mm. also a social enterprise. So they had a whole different element. It was just not a simple open restaurant. I was, and I was also shooting by the sea with Illy all at the same time. It was kind of like a very, um, I would say, very busy period in my life. Um, and I was focused on so many things. I totally neglected myself and I neglected um because I neglected myself I neglected my relationships with my friends and my family I neglected my health and it really kind of spiraled out of control um maybe in 2018 
yeah. when I really fell sick. Yeah, so mm. it was very serious, very scary because at that time I didn't know what was going on. The buzzword of that time was entrepreneurs watch out for burnout. Mm. Um, but I think it was more than burnout for me. It mm. was, um, yeah, it was it was extreme fatigue. It was, um, which led to hormone imbalance, which led to emotional um, drainage. Yeah. Um, so it was just like, it was just like the volcano had erupted at that point. Yeah. So yeah. in that year, yeah, 2018, as you said, you were diagnosed with PCOS mm. and endometriosis. Yep. Um, I mean, it's amazing to see how right now you're lending your voice to this community. Um, you mentioned to me that it was actually triggered by stress. Do you think you can tell our listeners uh, more about what is PCOS? Yeah, sure. So polycystic ovarian syndrome is short, is called PCOS or PCOS. Um, it is a genetic condition that uh, stays dormant, but is ignited by different um, different uh, parts of your body, basically. Like, so not different parts of your body. So it's it's kind of like it stays dormant until something happens. So in my case, um, in 2016-17, I was, like I said, um, highly stressed. So I was physically exhausted because I was running multiple businesses and shooting and you know I didn't get enough rest I was sleeping like maybe four hours a day Mm -hmm. and then exercising like a crazy person socializing so I was physically exhausted um emotionally I was drained because I had neglected family and friends I lost a lot of friendships I had lots of friendship breakups with people that I knew growing up with so that affected me emotionally and um mentally as well I was absolutely fried you know, um, so these three things um, kind of all collided at the same time. And what happened was um, my period stopped. I fell into deep depression. I generally am a bubbly, fun, very positive person. But yeah. during that dark time, I didn't want to see anyone. I was crying all the time. I was very negative, very, I wasn't. Um, I felt like I had lost control of who I was. Mm-hmm. And then I started gaining a lot of weight. Um, I felt tired all the time, extreme fatigue. And then the last one that really got me to get some help was uh, my period stop. So that's when I went to see the gynecologist. And then she took a blood test and did um, a scan. And she found ovarian cysts all over my ovaries in my uterus. And then my blood test came back and my insulin was through the roof. I had vitamin D deficiency and all these different things. So my hormones were completely haywire. Yeah. So, you know, it was really tough when I first heard, because I've never heard about this. I was like, what is PCOS? Yeah. And the funny part was before this, I already had other symptoms. Like I was telling you, you know, um, I... I was feeling burnout. Yeah. So I did see a couple of doctors and doctors diagnosed me with like um, autoimmune disease. La. And then at one point it was like asthma. So I was like on inhalers. And I was just like, okay, this is not working. And then when a period stopped, that's when I saw a gynecologist. And that's when she said, okay, it's not that. You have PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, yeah. which is a hormone imbalance. And, you know, when I first got <clears throat> the information about this, I had nowhere to turn to. I mean, I didn't know anyone else who had PCOS. So I started Googling, 
like everybody else does, right? And there was a lot of uh, material about this um, uh, from, you know, uh, from America and the UK and the US, but nothing in the Asian context. It was very difficult for me to find um, doctors who knew anything about this. So then I started talking about it on my social media. It's like, okay, guys, I have this. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but it says, like, I have to change my lifestyle, you know? So I started experimenting on myself. I wouldn't say that everything I did worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a process, but in that process of, like, talking about women's health and talking about polycystic ovarian syndrome, I found my sisters, mm-hmm. um, other women who are going through the same thing, who um, also have PCOS, but in various different degrees and forms. I found out things like you have lean PCOS, so you can look like a supermodel, but have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm-hmm. You can have polycystic ovarian syndrome after you've had children. So there's a lot of myth about people who have PCOS who are infertile. That's a myth. Um, I've met women who've had PCOS since the age of 16, 17. So it comes in waves. It's, it comes in all shapes and forms. Yeah. And uh, the beauty of it is now, um, you know, uh, we fast forward a little bit. I have started up a community, um, an organization called mm-hmm. My PCOS. I yeah. love you. Yeah. With um, Stephanie, Dr. Stephanie and uh, Dina. And the three of us are spearheading this. We're going to be launching our platform in September, which is um, World PCOS Awareness Month. And um, yeah, it's just, I think that, you know, nobody really talks about women's health very openly Yeah. about, you know, and the, the sad part about my condition is I don't just have PCOS. At the end of last year, I was also diagnosed with endometriosis which is another women's health um, that affects a lot of women in Malaysia mm. and around the world. It's um, when your uh, uterus lining collects and becomes a blood cyst and that um, affects your pain. So I was actually in a lot of pain for so many years that I yeah. didn't know that it was not normal mm-hmm. until um, I had the surgery end of last year in December. And then when I finally recovered, and I had my period, and I had no pain, I was like, wow, okay, this is what normal feels like. So, yeah, and on top of that, I also have thyroid deficiency. So I basically have three things that I really need to take care of. And a lot of people don't realize that polycystic ovarian syndrome leads to to, to you being diabetic. It also leads to heart problems and heart diseases. So it needs to be addressed as early as possible. Um, and the medication and the methods of, of um, diagnosing people, especially women in Asia, yeah. is very limited. So how did, you, limited. how did you take it? Because like you said, you were on an all-time high, um, managing restaurants, shooting, and um, just really on the fly. And suddenly you were just tired, fatigued, and you were diagnosed with... Um, this diseases, how, how did you take it mentally? Like you just had to stop all of a sudden and focus inward and your body. I didn't stop because wow. the doctor just told me lose weight. Oh, okay. Lose weight, uh, stop eating sugar and do yoga. That's all she said to me. <laughs> Which like wow. in retrospect, looking now, 
it's very irresponsible, I feel, mm. to to just tell your patient lose weight. And she didn't like give the time of day to go over, okay, right. what is PCOS? Maybe she doesn't know as well. Right, right. That's the reason, right? That's that's why a lot of women go through their lives thinking that this is normal, like skip mm. periods are normal, feeling tired is normal, feeling emotional and having anxiety and depression is normal because we're women, but it's not. It's got nothing to do with that. So when I got that information, I didn't see it as a big deal. I just continued to... To, to run the restaurant, quote unquote, yeah, normally. Just, yeah, like you know, like it's like you have the flu. Like somebody says, "Oh, you have a virus." It's like a flu virus. Like you just got to take your medication and rest, and then you'll be fine. So that's how I felt, right? I was like, okay, so this is something I have. This, I said, like, I asked the doctor, "Is there a cure?" She's like, "No, there's no cure for it." And come back and see me when you want to, when you're married and you want to get pregnant. So I was like, okay. It took me a while to kind of be able to let go of the business, to let go of my myself in a way, because I felt like my work was a part of me. It's really hard for somebody like as independent as me to say no to people who is always wanting to help others and be super, I know, loving and you know, be there for my friends and my family and to be to turn around and say, sorry, I can't make it today because I need to rest. And some people can understand that and others don't. Um, so it was very hard, um, to be honest, to find the balance. And I can say that the people who have stood by me, who want to be a part of my life, are still part of my life. And But I lost a whole chunk of people who really didn't understand why I was acting this way or why I was um, anxious and depressed or sad or... Um, I didn't feel like going out all the time and socializing. So yeah, it was a real big change actually um, because I knew that my body was changing and I knew why I was changing. Uh, but the rest of my community, not everybody understood. So how that did you... Year that, yeah. How did you walk out of this? Whew, um, I think what I did was I decluttered my life. You know, um, I would say like the pandemic couldn't have come at a better time for me personally. It gave me reason to stop and to focus on myself. So I would say that uh, last year, so 2020, um, I really buckled down and started looking at what my priorities, what are the things that make me happy and what are the things that don't make me happy anymore. And I, for the first time, I took four months off mm -hmm. work. I've never done that before in my entire life. I've been working since I was 16 years old. So I took four months off and I got my, did my surgery. And it's funny, right? So all this time I was talking about polycystic ovarian syndrome and endometriosis and thyroid problems. But people didn't take me seriously until I went into hospital and got an operation. And I did that video that, you know, over I think like 60,000 people have viewed it yeah. about my endometriosis. Then the calls started coming in like, oh my God, babe. Like I didn't know that you were in so much pain. So it's like, it's weird, right? So this is, this is what I, people have to deal with. People who, have, who are sick inside, who have um, issues with, you know, mental health or PCOS or endometriosis. You're, you're in so much pain. But it's not someone something you can 
see, it's not like a band-aid. Like people don't believe you. So when I went into, went into hospital, had my surgery, then everybody was like, wow, okay, now we know it's serious. But all this time, me telling them about this, it didn't seem like it had sunk into society. Yeah. Um, so now people take me more seriously when I talk about PCOS and endo yeah. and my thyroid deficiency. So it's weird, but it's, it's working, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So how do you think this, has, this diagnosis has changed your relationship with food and cooking and that's what you do for a living? It's, it's, it's a learning process every day. Um, I love what I do and I, I feel like I'm so blessed to be doing something that I love every day that makes me feel calm, makes me feel um, enriched, um, but it also provides um, security for me. You know, that's how I make my living. I'm super blessed. I'm also super blessed to have... Um, a following of women who look up to me, um, not just women, but men as well, who have women in their lives who struggle with PCOS. And uh, I just feel like I have a responsibility to, to, I guess, share my bit of positivity. I, I know I'm a very positive person. I've always been as a child till now. And it's something that I, I admire very much about myself. So I use food, um, as a means to educate, as a means to give inspiration, to give hope, um, to give knowledge to people who are um, maybe down or want some inspiration or wants to learn how to cook. So food has been my thing for a very long time. It's still very much my thing, but what I do now on the platforms that I'm with, the brands that I work with, the shows that I'm on, I always try and instill balance, right? So you have healthy, wholesome cooking, but you also have, you know, the comfort foods, the foods that, you know, like this morning I had murtabak. Why? Because my body craved it. I'm not yeah. going to deprive it because I have PCOS. I still want to feel, and I, and I felt great eating it because my body wanted it, you know? So it's just about tuning in to what you want, um, making things from scratch, enjoying yourself, cooking with your family, cooking with your loved ones. But you don't ever see this as a crutch, right? Like this is bothering my career, bothering my passion for life. No, not at all. If brands and the people I work with want to work with me, um, there's a reason why they want to work with me, right? So they know what I'm about. So if, you know, um, if, if it doesn't work, it's okay. Like, uh, I, I have nothing against, um, you know, a, anyone who, who feels like maybe um, the way I do things is very different now. Um, it's okay. Um, I just know that I'm more sure of, of who I am and what I, what I stand for now. Um, so, and I guess maybe now that I've been in the industry for, what's it, seven years? Mm -hmm. seven eight years eight, now? Yeah. Yeah, seven to eight years now, I think I've really established myself as to what I am. And I have um, credibility of all the work that I've done. So I think maybe I'm in that um, point in my life where I can be a little bit picky about the work I do. And like I said, I'm also in the process of learning to set boundaries and to say no, because I, I have to look after myself first before yeah. I can 
be the best for a campaign or a brand or you know ambassadorships or you know projects that I work with like if I'm not okay if I'm sick and I'm not able to perform then everybody loses right so yeah so now I stand up for myself first <laughs> That was Elise Suleiman you are listening to Foodie Canteen and we'll be right back after this break This show is supported by Good Foodie Media for foodie who wants to connect to the world through food, that's where you go. Find Penang Foodie, KL Foodie, Bangkok and Singapore Foodie on Instagram. They curate the best spots to eat and drink in this city. So what do you enjoy most about cooking? I mean, like, what does cooking make you feel? Oh, cooking makes me feel relaxed, makes me feel happy, makes me feel joy. Like, it's weird. So I will shoot all day and cook all day. And then I'll come back and still make a meal for my family. And yeah. everybody thinks, like, that's really weird. I, You know, a lot in a lot of households, if the chef is a chef, like, at home they don't cook, yeah. right? But it's not for me. I'm not a chef. I'm a home cook. So cooking at home is what makes me <laughs> happy. Um. So, yeah. So I don't ever stop cooking. I cook. Now, during the lockdown, I cook three meals a day, maybe two minimum. And yeah, it's it's fine. It's nice. It's so because like if I cook, then my husband cheats. So it's <laughs> nice. <laughs> do, do you think cooking heals you? For me, yeah. Cooking yeah. actually is a form of therapy. And, you know, my therapist talked talk to me about this and she's the one who kind of encouraged me to... Um, to use cooking as a form of um, recovery, especially mm. when I'm feeling anxious or feeling um, a bit overwhelmed or um, having to juggle so many things. Like if I feel like cooking is my sanctuary, I should focus on allocating some time every month or sorry, every day to just do that as a routine. Mm. Um, so, and I think it, it it's um, different people have different forms of it. Like some people, uh, it's music. You know, some people is playing an instrument. Some yeah. people is exercising. Um, but for me, I think, yeah, cooking is definitely my form of therapy for sure. <laughs> Any new and exciting projects that's coming out that we should look out for? Oh, so many. I mean, now that I've like taken a little bit of a, a, a backseat on you know, um, I mean, I still am an entrepreneur. I mean, I still, <laughs> I have my Illipod, which is my steamboat and grill delivery service. And it's doing um, doing really well, considering we're very new in the market. But it's actually like, you know, a lot of people are responding very positively to it. So I'm super happy about that. So, um, but I have a great team that are spearheading that. So we've got a lot of things that are coming up. I can't really say it, but watch out <laughs> um, and then we also have of course um, my passion for women and empowering women and supporting women um, who are struggling with polycystic ovary syndrome of, or any other women's health issues like endometriosis or anything else um, my non-profit well we're not really registered as a non-profit mm. yet uh, it takes a bit of time but um, essentially, we are going to start up a nonprofit called My PCOS I Love You, and that's launching in September. Um, and it's Malaysian based, so all the content is in Malay and English. And we are working with 
you know, a panel of doctors and nutritionists and um, PTs, personal trainers to really kind of help women understand what polycystic ovarian syndrome and see how they can help themselves um, and also give support to their family and friends to educate them as well so they can be supportive of the women in their lives who are going through it. Um, what else am I doing? I'm also going to be focusing more on my YouTube channel. <laughs> now that I'm at home and I just bought a camera, <laughs> mm -hmm. I am going to uh, delve into uh, being more open into sharing um, my life, my recipes, um, obviously yeah. all focused on uh, making wholesome comfort food, Malaysian style yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's kind of like where I'm going. So you can, you can, yeah. I can start subscribing to my channel. We post every Tuesday. So yeah. <laughs> that is very exciting. Thanks for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be on this, and I'm so excited for you guys. Um, thanks for being a voice for foodies and uh, being a voice for people and bringing people together through food. I think it's so important. Yeah, we can't wait to see more of you on Facebook, Instagram and TikTok. I love all your short videos. My TikTok dances, you mean? Yes. <laughs> okay, take care, Eli. Thank you so much. Bye! You have just listened to Foodie Canteen. Special thanks to Eli Slyman for sharing her story. The show is produced by me, your host, Castle Lim, and co-written by Mei Rae Kwa. Foodie Canteen Podcast is made possible by the excellent team at Good Foodie Media. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Foodie Canteen for more. Follow us for brand new episodes every Friday. Thanks for listening.